Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new, so uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Well, I want Craig Saxon Jacks. I'm talking about Craig Pappas on the board. SB Futures. Up 20, NASDAQ futures up 72. We're trying to rally up here today a little bit. Uh, yesterday, the market judged the CPI numbers is not as bad as they maybe looked to me and a lot of other people, but uh, maybe the market was expecting worse. Who the hell knows what the market's expecting? People opine on it all the time, but nobody ever really knows what the market does. There's like a gazillion decisions going on it every second. A gazillion is a lot, Lou, if you're here. A gazillion's a lot, just saying. Well, it's. It's not as big as a bazillion. No, that's true. A bazillion would be bigger. Hey, big, big news. Probably one of the most significant changes that will affect the listeners and uh, and maybe, I don't know if you're an iPhone guy, maybe you, but Apple has announced that its iPhones going forward are going to be charged not on that stupid lightning cable system they've got, but on the, uh, the USB-C uh, universal charger like uh, like most other uh, most other phones um, and and I don't know about you but since I'm in a mixed marriage you know my wife has an iPhone and I use an Android uh, this will this will greatly eliminate our cable uh, carrying requirements well there you go well you only I, need one I, you only need one thing in the car that's right you need one you need one thing in the car although although my car's got a my car has a wireless charging port, but yeah, you only need you only need one one outlet in the car. You you don't have to carry an extra set of cables with you. I I when I was working in Europe, I was uh, I got a fairly refined travel system down with regard to all kinds of things: first aid kits, clothing, food, everything that I took along. And one of them was the you know multiple cables for uh, for my phone and for uh, for her phone and and. I just I kept thinking, why is Apple doing this? I mean, I realized that they, you know, they they make lots of money off the proprietary, you know, their proprietary stuff on charging, but but it's such an inconvenience, and um, you know, it, it but it but it's a something that you you know, you've talked about before, which is when you control a, a substantial chunk of the market, you can and your product is very good, and the iPhone is very good, you can uh, you know you can bend people to your uh, you know, to your requirements, because they want access to your to your product. 
I think the the fact that the EU was demanding that everybody go to USB-C by sometime next year um, was another huge factor. But but in any event, this will uh, this will this will affect I don't know how many million iPhone users there are in the United States. Well, but assuming you a, buy a new a, one, there's a gazillion. There's a gazillion of them. Yeah, but assuming assuming you buy a new one. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, it 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 only affects new uh, new iPhones, but. Um, you know, iPhone iPhone users switch. My experience has been iPhone users switch fairly regularly for that latest upgrade. So, anyway, I have a, a real simple question for you. Uh, that's a big. That's a big. That's a big change. That's well, a direct impact that will hit. That will hit. You know, everybody in well, some way or another. Well, for you two, like phone dudes, Greg is probably more of a phone dude than you. Um, as my brother said, I said, "Do we know a real phone dude?" Yeah, Greg. My question is, and I don't use mine that much. Well, you got to be sexist, Chief. Um, all right, phone, phone dudettes. But <laughs> my, I guess my question is, if you use it as much as say Greg, or it's a lot. Uh, I, I a use lot, my, I use mine a ton. Well, the girl upstairs from me, when she was a bartender at the Buckingham, was she was seventy five hundred inbound and outbound texts a month when when you had to pay for them. Yikes. My question is, what? Got a lot to say. How? Uh, a lot of texts. Yeah, it's a lot of texts. That's like that's like high school. That's yeah, like yeah. High school oh yeah. Texts. My question is, how? If you do that, if you if you're that heavy of a user, how long do they last before they just plain wear out? The screen and the well, sensors I mean, and stuff. Well, first of all, because there are like no moving parts on the things, or almost none. There's nothing to wear. The only thing that, that the, the limitation on the life of the phone is typically the battery. The battery cycles, it, depending yeah. on how you charge it and, yep. and I thought, you know, if you're draining it every time. I thought if you press the screen, you know, a million and a half times, it becomes less sensitive. I mean, I mean something has to wear out somewhere. I mean, it's not a moving part, but it's something that works. Some people get stuck uh, or get stuff stuck in the jacks, but you can take that out pretty easily. In, in fact, that Greg, if I remember correctly, that was one of the big pushes uh, on wireless charging. Yeah. Was that you eliminated the you eliminated the, uh, the the physical contact issue, which does does wear out. Now, chief, the limitation on phones is battery. And, okay, so you can you can you can put a machine. When I ask this question: If you get a, a, a switch like this railroad approved, like a light switch, that means that some machine somewhere pushed that thing like a million times and it still worked. It was that. So you're saying somebody some could constantly press that screen for for 40 years and the screen would still be responsive? Yeah, I mean, Gorilla Glass I, is I've, pretty. Yeah, strong. I've never the only the only time I've ever heard screens going bad is is when you know may I be sexist when teenage girls put them in their back pockets and sit on them, or oh, or right. when they or when they throw them because they get that they get that you know dump message from the boyfriend. Oh, um, that that that's about the only physical limitation I've I've ever heard on a. Or you know they get dumped in water or or whatever, yeah, but yeah. Um, I've never I've never heard of a of a screen just going bad from use. The, well, you know you know phone. what the difference is between uh, kicked at a curb and thrown under the bus, don't you? I no, I don't. I, I'd like to hear this. Thrown thrown under the bus is being dumped by text. Well, kicked at a curb is being dumped in person. Oh man, ouch! Yeah. By text? Yeah. No, well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've, that's happened to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> so when, when I was when I was in a when I was a younger employment lawyer, uh, there was this huge scandal in uh, in one of the big firms in New York. Um, 
back when people had to be at the office. So it's like it's a it's a setup where they were all this firm was like on ten floors of some monster office building in New York, and they laid off uh, something like thirty attorneys. So this would have been this would have been probably two thousand two or two thousand three, and but they laid them off by uh, sort of by email notice, and and they sent they sent the notice out at the same time telling people that they had to report for you know whatever for out processing uh, that day but because of the way their server worked it did deliver it delivered to different floors at slightly different times so there was like a 10 minute delay really in the way yeah. the server was putting the emails out so the first people that got the messages and of course they were too stupid their their HR people were too technologically incompetent to, to put up like a, a blind uh, a BCC on the on the message, so they just sent it out to everybody, figuring it was going to hit everybody's inbox at the same time. So the guys that got the message first could see everybody else that was getting the message. Oh god! And they started calling each other. <laughs> by, the, by the way, you're getting you're getting hey, you're getting bleep kid. What do you mean? I don't that's right. there's, a, there's a message. There's a message coming for you. Don't open it. <laughs> And and it was this hor- you know, it was this horrible thing. Well, first of all, yeah, you know, you're notifying people. You, you're you're too cowardly to go into somebody's office and say, "Look, we have to have a talk because we're going to let you go." We're too cowardly to do that. Number one. Number two. We're too technologically incompetent. We are talking about te- technically incompetent. It looks like we lost Lou. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's still on. So yeah, we'll he'll, he he'll, he'll be back. The uh, I my, wouldn't mind about one of my <laughs> buddies. One of my buddies at the. Uh, at Pullman, he's interviewing this guy, Stan Bartnizak is the guy's name, real nice guy. He, but he's, he's very straightforward. And the guy sits down and he says, well, you know, you're coming from this other company, and the guy goes, uh, something about he was, he was riffed. You know, you know what a riff is, right? Uh, Reduction in force. Yeah, what, what was the other one that they used for a while? You were, you were, yeah, we were, I was riffed, they were downsizing. So Stan looks at him and says, We're making a change. Oh, yeah. there he is. Okay, and and nice. Stan goes, I'm not going to hold it against you. I've already decided to hire you. Buddy, you were bleepkinned. <laughs> he says to him, I don't care what you call it, you were bleepkinned. <laughs> the guy goes, okay. And he goes, no, you want the job? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, got a, I got an HR thing for you, Luna. We'll dig into this. Uh, sorry about sorry about the microphone thing. My, I just got a message up on my computer saying, we've disconnected your headset we're going to use the real tech speaker so i could you guys are all of a sudden coming out of my computer rather than my headset so i have no I, idea what I, happened. I think it's the government you were talking right. crap about uh, <laughs> that's yeah. right apple uh, steve cook steve yeah. cook reached into my computer and pulled the plug lou how's this for human resource well, my first job out of school was at uh, allied van lines right so i wasn't uh I, you know, I wasn't a mover, but I was a. Uh, How come we don't hear Allied Van Line stories on this show? Um, All we hear I are could Pullman. Show, I could, um, yeah, because I actually I got a couple of good ones. I, I I found out a lot about small businesses. My specialty in North Chicago was in was in small uh, businesses, right? So uh, I went to the Allied because they were looking for a guy to. Uh, well, in those days, I guess they could have had a lady, but in those days, probably not. Uh, Allied Van Lines back when you 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 didn't have uh, the authority. You couldn't just move somebody's duds or furniture from here to Wisconsin without having the paper, remember? Everything had to be regulated. So what Allied Van Lines did was was essentially link together all the local agents. So if there was an agent in Akron, he didn't have the paper to go to California or someplace, but if he joined Allied, then 
there was an umbrella over everybody. Long story, but bottom line is all these guys had to be had to be somewhat, you know, uh, you know, they had to be in good shape because if somebody's somebody's furniture was going to go from Chicago to L.A., there had to be an agent there to un- unpack the stuff and and all you know and take care of it on the other end. So you had this this yoked together system. As a matter of fact, Allied was like the third or fourth biggest phone company in the use of phones in the country. Some of my first trips were to like Omaha. You remember this, Luke, because you were out there. Where Omaha was was like the center of communications for the country. Oh, yeah. With all the no, watch no, lines I, I, and everything. That that is, when I lived there, it astounded me how how much traffic was going through that place. Oh yeah. Well, because uh, Pullman had something like. I don't know, 50 outbound and 50 inbound watch lines or something? Watch lines were allowed you to call yep. long distance. Wide area telephone service. And uh, Anyway, so the guy who was the human resource guy was this goofball named Gordon Trapp. He looked like the, uh, the referee with the big can, uh, the big the big can, the big uh, guns. Uh, was the guy who just Oh, yeah, retired? Ed, whatever his name is. Hockley, 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 yeah. Hockley, well, yep. Gordon Trapp looked just like this guy. All he did was do curls on know? How do we all know that guy's name? Because well, he, he, loved, he loved having the guns, and he had good guns. Probably still does. And, well, anyway, one day we get a bomb scare. So they evacuate the building. Then they don't know what to do. So imagine you being an attorney at this this point, Lou. Gordon gets up there and he says, uh, here's the deal. If you leave, we're not going to pay you for the rest of the day. But if you go back inside and the place blows up, your insurance won't cover you. <laughs> <laughs> I was to this day. I thought that was the most amazingly amazing speech I think I've ever heard. Wait a I, minute. I actually think that's that's quite consistent with the uh, the HR types that I've dealt with over the course of my <laughs> employment law career. Um, you know, all leaves are canceled until morale improves. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the beatings the beatings will stop when morale improves, right? Yep, yep. Yep. Damn, damned if you do, and damned if you do. Uh, yeah, but I uh, I did learn a lot about small businesses. There was a guy. We'll give you a quick story since you asked the question. There was a guy in. Uh, I did. I, 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 you know, I, I thought the Pullman, I thought the Pullman well had been sort of exhausted by now. Ah, uh, well, you I, know what though? When you're when you get United Van Line well. When you when you're a, a place that big, the the well goes pretty far. Cause they were pretty interesting characters, Pullman, because a lot of guys had come from other places, Boeing and other places. So it wasn't just picking up information there. Guys who worked on the one guy worked at the, the helicopter was at Bell. Bell helicopters. Yes. One guy worked there. Real smart guy. Anyway, so there's this guy in uh in Akron, in a uh, in, in you know just south of Cleveland, and this guy he's got three agencies, and every agency's got twenty thousand bucks. Back when twenty thousand bucks was real money, twenty thousand dollars negative in every uh, checking account, and the place looks like it's it's on its last leg. And I go, so my boss goes, hey, go on out and talk. This guy's name was Tom. I'm ready to go out, go out to time and uh, and you know see if he can help these guys out. And I go okay, so I go through all his numbers and everything. I fly out there, so Tom picks me up in a Mercedes. We immediately go to this restaurant. It looked exactly like the one in The Sopranos, you know, pretty expensive white tablecloths, gorgeous place. We have like uh, I don't know four or five drinks before dinner. He's giving me a long story about the place and how he loves the business, but he. And I'm sitting there going, this guy's this guy's supposed to be broke. <laughs> and then he then all dinner he's telling me about his he's got ticker problems. His heart's doing this and that, and the doctor's got him this kind of stuff. Guess what the guy has for dessert? Like like double a double order of cheesecake. Four four, four, four count them four brandy Alexanders. 
know, the ice cream and booze combo? Yeah. That's just well, I, I've heard of it. I don't know yeah. it, but I've heard of it. So I, I, I go into the place, and uh, next morning, the, the person who's his accounting person is this young lady who's uh, pretty impressive, shall we say. So I, I sit with her all day, and this is my first business trip I'm going, or all business trips. Anyway, I go, by the way, her name was Pat. I go, Pat, how did you get 20000 bucks in every every you know negative in every uh, bank account? Oh, yeah, well, I got, I got screwed over by uh, Thanksgiving. I go, what? <laughs> she goes, well, I was sending checks from one to the other covering the payroll, and finally... The mail was a day late on Thanksgiving, and the check didn't get there in time. I go, you, know, you can go to jail for that. Ah, they all like time. It's okay. <laughs> the guy had all oh, these people working for him. I don't know. I don't worry where he siphoned the cash out, but I helped him out a lot by scheduling his packing. You make most of the money in uh, moving in storage by doing the packing. If you do it right, if ever you want to see people do anything absolutely perfectly, well, you know, businesses used to be. If you wouldn't want to be a packer, you'd say, okay, I'm just going to throw some dishes in a box. It's not the way it works. you got to go for classes. You, you, at those times, they had films. If there was a dish box. There was the exact amount of dishes that would go in that box, and guys could do it in, in the kitchen. You'd, you'd, wrap, you'd wrap the dish in, in newspaper one time, put it in there, stack them. You, had the, you knew the exact amount of boxes you need for the size of the kitchen for a, a serving of 12 to two boxes. It's, it's an amazing business. And then when the guys come and put the boxes and stuff on the truck, the over-the-road drivers, they know just the size of the box, know just how they can get it in the, in the, in the van. They know it's stable, that there's no air in it, so you know, if you put something on top, it won't collapse. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real science how those guys can put that stuff on those trucks. I but, would think it would have to be. Yeah, it's, it's really, the guys that are good, they walk into the van and they got a piece of room and the guy goes, go get me that dresser on the second floor because it'll fit just here. I mean, it, it, it really, but anyway, so this guy... Somehow he had an amazing business. He had a Mercedes. He, he, had, he ate at the best places every day because he took me out to dinner like three nights in a row. And, and, and the guy, I, I learned in small businesses, there can be money around the place. So it was, it was a huge education, but only, only for a while. Then I said, well, I got to do some manufacturing stuff. But, but they had, they had, they had story, <laughs> stories where these a guy. Guys, see, see, these guys, these are the guys that hate lawyers, these yeah. kinds of operations, because the lawyers come in. And and we'll we'll watch it. And I, I had I had clients like this, where you come in and and the business, it just you, you come into the business and it just doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. You know, there's 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 either, <coughs> excuse me, there's too much money, hanging around or or you know whatever, but it just doesn't feel right. And then then you start asking questions. Okay, who's who's where's the overtime? Where are the uh, the payroll records for you know this guy? You know that you see this. You see some guy slinking around in the sta- in the warehouse or something like this. You go, Who is that guy? Oh, that's so and so. What's he do? Uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a fixer for you know problems. Okay, let's see his payroll records. Yeah, we don't we don't really have payroll records for him because we we pay him in cash. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, at that point the alarm bells start going off. Or or okay, you know who's this guy? Who, you know, I see somebody over here. We've got this problem with this employee. Well, what's wrong with him? Well, you know, he uh, he he slipped on a a grease spot on the on the bay floor and you know cracked his spine and da da da. I said, okay, let's see the let's see the workers' comp file. Well, we we don't have a workers' comp file. And I, said, what do you mean? Well, we didn't file workers' comp, <laughs> but he hurt himself at work. Yeah, well, we we gave him some money. We're just sort of giving him money under the table to handle his doctor's bills. 
you know, these red these red lights start flashing inside your head and you go oh yeah okay but, and all of this all of this these kinds of systems they can work just fine as long as nobody gets angry or or makes a call to the department of labor or picks the phone up you know and says i'm being treated i'm not being treated fairly it it and then and then the government comes in or a federal agency or state agency comes in and and then or or god help you some plaintiff's lawyer gets a hold of you um i had a I had a business in south carolina that this happened to they were it was it was mostly family and they were doing they they were i don't think they were in compliance with a single law <laughs> regarding regarding workplace well you might as you well know? be unanimous you might as well not make that's right that's right i mean i don't think they complied with anything you know no record keeping requirements no i mean they 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 fired one of their one of their people because the guy the guy left the Baptist church that they all attended and you know went to a Methodist church so they fired him well, I can understand I that mean, yeah. I mean it was that kind of it was that kind of a place and and uh, you know somebody it, it, this you will appreciate this somebody started sleeping with somebody they weren't supposed to be sleeping with and then things started unraveling in a hurry because oh. that person that person you know that person got got I think fired or I don't think they fired him. I think it was a family member. So they moved him from like an air conditioned office to an unair conditioned office, which in the summer in South Carolina is a big deal. And and uh, she she complained and you know she lit up she lit up the the place and the EEOC comes in and then of course they they start doing a little investigation. They start looking for paperwork. There is no paperwork. They bring the Department of Labor in, going after the wage and hour uh, records. Who, who then, you know, they find out that the retirement plan is a scam. You know, oh, God. They were, they were bilking their, they were milking their uh, their pension fund. I mean, it was just this, it was just this, you know, domino effect. <laughs> well, some of this, every, the, uh, every time you turn, every time you turn around, it was, that's what I said. I don't, I don't think they were in compliance with a single, you know, labor law or employment law ever in terms, every time you turn, I turn around and I, you know, my my firm sends me down there to go, to go talk to these guys and try to start sorting this out, and I I literally called the managing partner for the client and I said, do you have any idea what what is happening here? And he goes, well, I think they're a little loose with their with their formalities. I said, <laughs> no, no, this is not this is not loose. This is there's no rope. You know, it's not a question of being the rope being loose. There is no there is no structure here whatsoever they were doing almost everything on a cash on a cash basis and of course once DOL got a hold of it then the IRS comes in then <laughs> I, well, was, I think they, 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 could, they all couldn't sit around the kitchen table together they had so many regulators the the only positive I mean from from my perspective as a lawyer this this goes back to this goes back to that issue I, I think I told you about as a, as a lawyer I was excited to see lots of conflict the only the only positive from from my perspective was that the owner of the company had been very prudent like a lot of these guys are he was insanely cash rich and so when when we came in for like two years he could fund all of this litigation and regulatory stuff and he paid us i think he defaulted and just bankrupted the business uh, to, to avoid and then just shut everything down after about two or three years because the, the expenses were just were just getting crazy and they start you know good old good old good old government they can't 
they can't keep uh, you know criminals off the street, but they can enjoin and shut down your business. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. well that's easy. You're not getting you're yes. not getting hurt doing that. Eh? Force you out of force you out of business, and and that's what started to happen. And he finally he finally shut down. But you know, for two years it was like this gravy train for his counsel because we were we were just wow. solving one thing after another, and all because all because at the beginning they moved one of their manage managers, a female manager out of an air-conditioned office because she was inappropriately familiar with one of the other family members. Oh, God. So it sounds like the uh, the bears getting rid of the honey bears. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God, I'd forgotten about that. Well, I got two quick, we got to go to break up. I got two quick ones. One is uh, a lady named Alice was the, was the uh, like, the complaint manager. This uh, black lady, she was absolutely a riot. I mean, this is at United. This, this is well, Allied, and uh, Allied. Allied I, I, I was referred to as her favorite Peckerwood, right? So anyway, <laughs> so the uh, so oh good, she, good. She would. I'm she, just starting to tote up. I'm just starting to tote up the lawyer stories that are coming out of this place. Well, well, you know, this was back before, but uh, she told me a couple of stories. One of them was some guy. I mean, most people don't. Their house doesn't take the whole van. So, you know, there's maybe two or three houses sure. full of stuff in the van. Well, the uh, this guy gets dumps off the first house, and the van's like half full. Well, he finds some friend along the way, sets the, the, the other, the half now that's empty, up as like a little apartment and pulls into the lady's driveway and spends like three days there. And these people are like, where the hell, is, are my, where's my furniture? And Alice is trying to track the stuff down. She finds it in some driveway in Nebraska. <laughs> um, the other was, I mean, most people, I mean, if you move or if Greg moves or the listeners move, you're going to probably start packing stuff, start cleaning stuff, winging stuff out, you know, that you don't want to move, that kind of stuff, like what I would guess normal people do. But if you do like a corporate move or a military move, well, this is where military, it's good. Military moves, because I, 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 I did like 15 military moves, and they're, because you're not paying for it, Yeah, there's no incentive. Yeah. Well, they had a, evidently had a general that moved like every two years, and he had he'd buy like a four bedroom house wherever he moved, and he was he was at least two trailer loads, which is like nobody. But when you walked in, he, he might have like washed the dishes, him and his wife, everything else, silver, everything still in the drawer, the entire place, all their clothes in in, in the drawers, in the closets. You went in and you packed the whole thing. They they just left. You walked in and it, I mean, it was like two trailers. The guy moved like it was a fortune in packing. It, it took like, you know, I don't know, like five or six packers three days to do the house. <laughs> and then you know, two it was like two two and a half trailer loads for the guy. And he just like it was it was a huge move. And it was like every two years the government paid for it. So one of my favorite one of my favorites. I mean, as an Air Force guy, Air Force attorney, you handle these moving claims all the time. My favorite was the guy who ships his household goods to part of his household goods to Okinawa, Japan. And and they the packers packed garbage in his, you know, just just dumped the stuff out of the trash cans in the house, just dumped it into into boxes. Really? And just yeah, it, it, they were in plastic bags, but they just dumped it into dumped it into the boxes and packed it all. And so by the time, you know, it's a, I don't know what, 25 to 30 days to get to, to get to Okinawa. By the time that that stuff arrived in Okinawa, you can imagine what that smelled like. Uh, my other favorite, my other favorite claim story, was they opened up the box in Germany. The shipment goes from from some base in Alabama to Germany. They open up the box, one of the boxes in Germany, and out jumps the family cat. 
I was going to say, I was going to say the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, out jumps a cat who everybody had thought had run away and, of course, had, had nested, nested into this box and, of course, peed all over oh, everything. Yeah. It just uh, unbelievable stories. Unbelievable. SP Futures up 18. NASDAQ Futures up 57. Looks like we're moving north. Here. We should have PPI numbers in a half hour. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Well, North Bay, Satchin Jackson, I'm Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 16.50. Uh, they were up 18 a minute ago, but they're still up. NASDAQ Futures up 56. They were up 70, but again, still up. Dow Futures up uh, 98 individual stocks in the Dow. I have uh, Caterpillar up 208. I got uh, Chevron Texaco up 161 as well keeps marching here. NVIDIA up 515. We got Apple up 35 cents. Apple's been getting having a rough time lately, but it's up a little this morning. Uh, over in Europe, we have uh, DAX up 9. Let's call that flat. What's the hour? Up 78 points. It's a whole 1%. Uh, uh, CAC around up 13.2%. European stocks higher as China delivers more stimulus. ECB rate decision due. Uh, so uh, when that comes out, we will have that for everybody. Uh, over in Asia, you got Nikkei up 461. It's 1.4%. Hang Seng up 38.2%. Uh, still hanging over at 18,000, just a bit. 18,047. Shanghai up 3, 31.26. Uh, yesterday, 
Dow was down 70, S&P up 5, NASDAQ up 39. It was a real slow kind of mixed bag day after what I thought was a somewhat of a disappointing CPI report, but the talking heads managed to talk it down by the end of the day. Uh, U.S. Uh, 10-year rate, uh, two basis points, 4.26. The button down one, 2.64. Japan unchanged at 0.72. So not much going on there. Well, up a dollar eleven now, 89.63. This is getting to get pretty serious here. Uh, Brent up a buck ten, 92.98. Natural natural gas up a dime, 278. Our bubble up two cents, 275. Got gold still mired in this middle 1900s, actually 1929, down 340. Sort of the bottom end of the range there. Silver down 29 cents, under 23, 22.88. Uh, and it's been that's the low end of this range. Don't know if it's a buy there. It has been, but that doesn't mean it is today. Copper up three cents, three eighty-three. We've got Bitcoin up two twelve, twenty-six thousand three seventy-seven. We've got the U.S. dollar virtually uh, unchanged on the day. Uh, at the euro at one hundred seven, the British pound at one point two four seven. Greg, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports, Cubs. Wow, ouch. <laughs> Cubs lose three to seven in Chris Colorado. Bryan, what, Chris Bryant, what four home runs in two days or yeah. three? Uh, he he's doing. Showing us what we're missing out on. But anyways, Chicago weather, 58 degrees now, 68 today, partly cloudy. Phoenix weather, 80 degrees right now, 101 today, sunny and very warm. Uh, Both places, poor air quality. Traffic, Kennedy, we got Montrose to the interchange, 17 minutes. Edens, Lake Cook to the interchange, 63 minutes. Ouch. Uh, Eisenhower, Wolf to the interchange, 33 minutes. Dan Ryan, 95th to the interchange, 20. Stevenson, 294 to the Ryan is 27 minutes. And Bishop Ford, I-80 to the interchange is 18. Um, Like we said, Cubs lose in Colorado, and the Diamondbacks lose in Queens. So Diamondbacks 1, Mets 7. Tonight, Vikings take on the Eagles, and the Eagles are minus 6, over-under is 49. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. Uh, We have one of the big stories today is that uh, China has has relaxed their reserve requirements, meaning that people can... can, uh, Borrow more money. Banks can lend more. Uh, but, but before that, I want to do one sports hook. I try to put one sports right. hook in each each segment. Okay, here it is. This is the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you're aware that Colin Kaepernick's agent reached out to the New York Jets after Rodgers went down. Yep, I didn't to know see that. about a tryout. So, so that that made the sports news yesterday. So the Babylon Bee, God bless those people, puts out the following article with a headline. Kaepernick said that no slave owner will enslave him no matter how many times he tries out to be a slave. God. <laughs> um, hey, did you happen to... Did you see the... Uh, I, I should have... I don't, I don't think I sent it to you. I, should have I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. Oh, I know. You, you really can't. Well, the, the, the players evidently are all pissed off at Roger's injury because of the artificial surface. I don't know if you read any of this yesterday. Oh, no. I, I See, this... I was following this. I thought this whole artificial turf thing had been resolved like three collective bargaining agreements ago because I, when I was an agent, you know, which is almost 10 years ago now, when I was an agent, um, this stuff, this stuff came up in the late nineties. The, the, the PA was, you know, had all, they had lots of numbers about the, the, the number of, and it's, it's an ungodly number of knee and ankle injuries. It's like a 68% higher knee uh, and ankle injury rate on, on artificial turf It's uh, not, than, not than in, uh, One of the offensive linemen, I think, on the Packers or somebody, I don't know if he's one of the, uh, what do you call it, player reps or whatever, 
he, uh, maybe not personally, but they've been keeping track of all this. And the amount of, uh, they, they zero in on the non-contact injuries. Exactly. And, uh, yep. and then they, they said the non-contact injuries on artificial surface are way higher than grass. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so I thought this had all been resolved. I mean, <clears throat> as I said, the, the PA was raising this, the NFL Players Association was raising this back in the late 90s when I when I was doing the agent stuff full, you know, almost full time. And I, I just I thought I know they had they had pushed with league safety and um, you would think uh, I, I don't and I guess this is just another marker for how idiotic the NFL is sometimes you've got guys running around I mean I don't know what they're paying Rogers but you've got guys running around you know 200 250 million dollar assets you know the actual key to your season and and you're you're actually putting them on surfaces that are making them more likely to be injured. You know what what are you guys doing? Well, I think some people thought that the uh, the new stuff with the rubber granules and stuff was was better enough. For, but but anyway, they, here that, that actually that stuff. I mean, Air Force had that on its field. They took that off because that rubber dust that was coming up is is actually some like horrific carcinogen if you inhale enough of it. Uh, the amount of like uh, I read this, at, I don't know why it was. It was girls' soccer, maybe because they're, I don't know, they're not that much shorter than guys when they're at that age. But somehow or another, the amount of that stuff that gets in the lungs of of girls' soccer players, you know, the ten year olds and twelve year olds, is really high. Yeah, no, no. I mean, if you're playing, that that's why that's why Air Force got rid of it. Um, I I watched a couple of seasons. You know, you see these guys bounce off the off the turf and this cloud of stuff come up. And I, I remember just thinking, this can't, this can't be good to be breathing this. Well, stuff. it's the only, it's the only artificial surface I think that you can legitimately play soccer on, or else the ball just runs off. It's the only, it's the oh, only because because it because it behaves like real grass. Yeah, it slows it, behaves, it down. It slows like it down enough, so I think your your passing is somewhat. Well, but, I, but anyway, here's here, speaking of you're going to see you're going to see people looking for investments, investment opportunities. You're going to see a push to to start using you know and, and I think this will start at they'll start at the pro level but it's going to work its way down to the high schools you're going to see a push to start taking uh, artificial surfaces off and replacing them with natural grass and and you know everybody's pointing to this stadium I I think it's in Germany where they've and maybe in Frankfurt where they've got a grass field that retracts under the stadium so so the stadium surface can be replaced with you know whatever you need but the grass field for the for the soccer games is actually stored underneath the stadium with artificial lighting temperature heat control everything humidity control and then it it raises itself up and and deploys out onto the field for uh, for soccer games well there i don't i don't see how you um i mean they had a place here in chicago gately stadium it's still there uh i went to a game when i was in high school they would have Friday night, like three games on Saturday and two on Sunday. By the third week, if there was any rain, the thing was just a mud ball. I mean, there's no way you can have a, you can do that no. kind of stuff on a grass field. No, and 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 I mean, and you know that if you play, and I I, I played on I played on mud fields all the way through college. You know, on a mud field, the chance of getting hurt is almost the same. In the sense that that once the weather deteriorates and that that field, or once the weather changes, that field starts to deteriorate, or God forbid, you come out in the spring, 
with all the snow melt and try to run on it. You got guys slipping, falling, crashing, sliding all over the place. Well, you're I, not I mean, you're not going to get a concussion because you can't go fast enough to hurt yourself. Well, that's, that's right, and you you have no traction. I mean, I yeah. mean, guys pulled muscles and and you know twisted and all that other stuff because their footing was terrible. So it's, I mean, the short an- I think the short answer is they've got to come up with something, and and it may be as simple as a changing the shoe design that eliminates the kind of traction that you get on an artificial turf field because that's where your non-contact well, injuries. Uh, so now you you brought me up to two questions, two things. One is. Because we want to talk more about this bank stuff here. Well, I can talk about that with Dan. Uh, yeah, talk to talk talk about it with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, rather than just be flailing around out here in the ether. All right. Well, we want we don't want you flailing around. But the thing that has brought this to a key, we need to talk about Ukraine anyway. Yeah, and and you you just brought this up because you're actually fairly clairvoyant. Uh, yesterday, uh, Russell. Every time I was going to ask a question, he anticipated the question. <laughs> I was like, he's, he's, like, he's a smart guy, <laughs> but. Uh, what has brought this to a head, Mr. Maven, is all of a sudden, I don't know, Greg, you're a soccer guy. Uh, what's what's coming to North America in a couple of years? Is it, It's not the World Cup. Is it, what, what's coming here? Is it some the North American Cup? Something's coming here. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is the World Cup in two years. It is. Yes. It is, it is the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are, are doing the World yep, Cup together. North so. America, yep. Well, evidently, all Cup. these stadiums that absolutely can't put grass in because it's too expensive, too, too expensive, are now falling all over themselves to tell the, the, the soccer player, don't worry, we'll replace it with grass. We'll pull the national turf out, the artificial turf out for grass for the soccer because they, the, they want the gate. So now the football players are outraged because all the stories that, that they were told 10 years ago mm-hmm. was how it was pro- prohibitively expensive, and now all of a sudden it's not because they want somebody else. So that that's yeah. what's got everybody all pissed off right now. Well, it, it and it should. And I mean, I mean, you know, this kind of these kinds of injuries were happening to offensive linemen and defensive players all the time. But it takes a quarterback in New York, you know, to go down and all of a sudden it's a huge it's a huge issue. I honestly as I said, I thought the league had resolved this. This was a huge issue for the PA back in the 90s. I don't know why they backed off on it. Uh but but it, in my opinion, having having played on AstroTurf in what, the middle seventies, I thought it was horrible. Well, it was horrible. You know, I bounced. I bounced. I mean, it was like it was like playing on your living room with a with a thin well, rug. Well, there, there was either that or some of the football fields. We actually went down to an Illinois game. Uh, this is probably eighty three four. Somehow or another, the stadium was open. We ended up playing tackle football against some guys from another town. That was about the dumbest thing I think we ever did. But they they had made it so soft, Lou, and I wasn't very fast. I, I, I caught a pass. I made a cut. I almost blew out my knee because you went in there, your, your, your foot went down into the stuff and just stuck. It was so soft. Yeah. But if you fell on it. But, but here's, here's a, what, I'm, what I'm getting to. Is again, you're you're very correct on this. Uh, there was a when Dr. J and I used to work out at the a place over here. There was a guy who, they had this fitness magazine with really good articles in it, and the guy was talking about this is an orthopedic surgeon, uh, podiatrist surgeon, I guess, and he goes, "This artificial surf is is no, you know, it's harder, yeah, but he goes, but in terms of leg injuries, it should be no different than grass." He goes, "The only difference is." The players and the players' association—I'll say this right out: 
is too stupid to realize that they're their own problem. Okay, the guy says what happens is if the if the if the footing is uh, is really you know it's you know it's almost like stepping on a piece of tape. Guys are still wearing spikes because if, if I, I if I examine the, the the field and I said you must wear these shoes, there would be no increase in injuries because because some of the stuff where people are running out of their like like Leslie Frazier did in the in the Super Bowl with the Bears. He goes, yes. he goes, if you got in that kind of a field, I would say everybody has to wear a basketball shoe. No spikes, yep. no nothing. Because if everybody did, nobody would notice it in the fans, everybody would be even, and he goes, the injuries would not go up. So, so NFL history, two, two, two anecdotes from NFL history. Do you remember the, do you know what the famous sneaker game was? Uh, it was here, it was here in Chicago, was that where they so somebody the Bears, asked, the Bears, the Bears were in it, but it wasn't in okay. Chicago. It was the, in New York. The field was frozen, and somebody found yep. a sporting goods store and went out and bought basketball. At halftime, at halftime, they ran out and bought a bunch of basketball shoes. This is like 1936 or 37, and and this is good old George Hallis. The the Giants were the smart guys. They ran out, they bought a bunch of basketball shoes, and they they ran out of the field. And one of the Bears supposedly said to uh, Hallis, "Coach, they're they're wearing sneakers." And Hallis said, "Good, step on their toes." Yeah. <laughs> and of course, and of course, the Bears lost because oh, yeah. they were skating all over the place. Second anecdote: the Vikings are, you know, and the the surface that most resembled the artificial turf surface was Metropolitan Stadium in Bloomington, Minnesota, after you know December first, because the ground was frozen yeah. solid. It was like you know tundra, and and so the Vikings actually bought a. a set of shoes guess what sport they went to to buy shoes that would give them better traction on a rock hard frozen field I was going to say Converse All-Stars or something but uh... no it's not basketball broom ball they went out and bought like I don't know a hundred pair of broom ball shoes what is broom ball broom ball it's a it's a it's a game you play with a broom, a broom, knocking, <laughs> knocking soccer balls around, it, really? like uh, hockey, but but broom balls played on a on a like a hard urban surface and, and like a street or a sidewalk surface and or you know uh, old basketball courts, and so they they put the guys in broom ball shoes for uh, for traction. I'll, I'll show you how, how old I am. I, I remember the first time anybody that I knew of had been even saw AstroTurf, which is what they used to call it, obviously. Uh, and where do you suppose that was? The Houston Astrodome. Yeah. The, they originally, uh, I don't know if you knew this, Greg, but the, the idea was that the, the roof was glass, right? And uh, the grass was going to grow. But then in the daytime, when the ball went up in the air, nobody could see the ball. So they had a paint the inside of the grass or glass which means the grass didn't grow so now they're in a panic so Jack Brickhouse was on TV doing a Cub game and he holds a piece of this stuff up and it was like this close weaved rug maybe maybe a quarter inch of padding on the backside maybe I mean it was it was not as much padding as you would have on your living room rug and it was this close green top and that's what they put down that was AstroTurf so you just I'm still stuck at the first part of what you were saying. They didn't realize you wouldn't be able to see the ball with the glass roof. Really? Uh, they thought you were going to be able. To, they could see it at night because you know at night it was dark. Uh, 
but that, and with the lights of the stadium in the daytime, you couldn't see a pop-up because they said, okay, it's glass. What's the difference? He's been looking at the sky. Well, evidently, there was a huge difference. What? Yeah, there's a huge difference what? because, because <laughs> the, the lights were refracting through the through nobody the Nobody thought they can build a stadium for, what, 60,000 people, and nobody thought of that? Well, they thought the glass, the grass would grow. And right, the, right, Luke? The grass, okay, but, oh, yeah, no, that's but how exactly about the playing? Yeah. Isn't it specifically designed for playing, and nobody thought of that? <laughs> well, I mean, it, wow. It, I mean, you, you would have thought that they would have built a small one somewhere, in like a, you know, a farmer's field with a little dome and see if the grass you, would was grow. Was it one of those architects, baseball or football or anything? I, I don't know. You, but, ha- you have to remember, we were. this is the era when the way we modeled how an airplane, for example, would react in at high speed is you built the airplane, you put some luckless test pilot in it, and you flew it at high speed to see if it would break up or vibrate itself apart because the whole modeling thing was still in its infancy. <laughs> so, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me that, that they had to build the state. We had to build the stadium in order to see if it would work or not. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise well, I mean, me a bit. I mean, look, have you ever gone to... Uh, I mean, Chief, the, the, the Metrodome, in Minneapolis, yeah, you know the 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 studies they 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 build this inflatable stadium, and I mean I don't know I I I know they did some calculations on it because because my father talked about it, but you know how many times did that thing collapse because of snow? Well, it was like it was it, des- it was designed to collapse. It wasn't no, designed to tear. No, it was not. It was not designed to collapse the way it, the way it did. It was not supposed to get deflated. It was. It was. It was it, uh, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll I actually read a whole bunch about this stuff. It was des- it, it was designed. If you opened up all the doors, okay, it would deflate. But there were beams there would land on the beams. It was not supposed to have, because the stadium was was heated. There thought, were no beams across the top of the stadium. There were cables. Cables, yeah. It was, was going to drop on. It was cables. Sorry, but it was designed to drop on the cables, and the cables could hold it. Yeah. But but what happened yeah. is the one time, it, the, the the storm was so violent. That the heat from the stadium didn't melt the stuff, and the, and the ice put a big they were it was never rip just, in it. Just FYI, they were never supposed. It was never supposed to get deflated. The story was when they built the thing because everybody said, "Wait a minute, you're building an inflatable dome. What what happens when it snows? Oh, we're going to turn the heat up inside the stadium. Yeah, yeah. It will melt the snow off the top. It will never get to the point of deflating. But so in, then in, they in, realized how much money that was going to cost. But in so, in theory, if they opened up all the doors, it would deflate and it would land on those cables and that wreck itself. It would be yes, reinflated. Yes, but that was an emergency. That yeah. was an emergency measure. It was never supposed to do that. The first time it ripped was when they didn't turn the heat up enough because it was too expensive, and they they only partially melted the snow on top, so it became ice. Yeah, much yeah. more dense than snow, and and it that collapsed the dome. So they had these huge chunks of ice. So what do they do? They put workers up there to to chip the ice and push it off the side of the dome. That was a bad idea. Well, again, these guys, first of all, were not tethered to anything because there was nothing to tether them to. Nobody was supposed to be up there. So they're up on top, and they've got a bucket, uh, a giant crane bucket that's that's over the top of the dome, and they're throwing the ice into the bucket if they can't if they can't push it off the side. And some no again, nobody figures out, you know, after a certain point, we're gonna take enough ice off the top of the dome that it's gonna it's gonna reinflate. <laughs> nobody is, thought about that. So is, oh. they push this big section of ice off 
and the dome something whoop like a balloon pops up the surface contacts the bottom of this bucket crane Tears. rips oh, a hole in it and then it starts tearing and you know there's like five guys in this section of the because the dome is in sections the roof roof is in sections there's like five guys in this section they're not tethered to anything and their flora which is the surface of the dome is tearing underneath them so they start running for the edge with this tear opening up behind them like something out of a cartoon and and you know they race to get to the nearest cable so that they can throw themselves over onto the next section of the roof before this one tears this thing tears all the way open all that stuff falls into the into the bottom of the metrodome and they canceled what a monday night football game for that yeah 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 it, it was it was un- unbelievable and then the guys of course didn't the, fall though did they Hold pardon me on. the guys didn't no, die I don't no think. They, they amazingly enough they didn't lose anybody but again i'm going you're not supposed to be up walking around on a roof untethered that 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 yeah that's again here come the lawyers that's a violation of like five different OSHA safety regulations. You think they would have been attached to the bucket somehow, so the crane would at least hang or, on to them, or too. at least tethered to one of the cables? Yeah, but nope, they were they were loose, and I mean, I mean it. They probably you know they probably went down to a street corner at like three a.m. in Minneapolis, saw a bunch of guys singing around, you know, singing songs on the street corner, and said, "Hey, guess what? Guess what? Make some easy money." <laughs> Well, you, you ever see ice off the Metrodome? Do you ever go for the uh, tour of the Dallas Stadium? Uh, I haven't been down there. Well, there's yet, there's, no. there's people that are in the in the uh, what do you call it? scoreboard, right? But I don't I don't know if you can get to the scoreboard. Maybe there is a way to get there from the top. But there's a little thing that comes out of there. It looks like it looks like one of it's round. It looks like one of the uh, the things they would stand on in the Enterprise when you, the, the transporter. <laughs> it looks like that. It, this thing comes down, and people, you, you go and you stand on that thing, and it pulls you up into the. <laughs> what if what if that thing conks out, and, you, and you're up there for how long? Or there's no power. I mean, that's how you get up there. They, they, this thing drags you up there on a hydraulic winch. Yeah, nobody <laughs> that thinks, actually nobody seems thinks kind of about fun. that. But you're 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 way. I'm, I'm I'm with you. It sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you're 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 on this little this little. Round platform looks like a sewer cover. I mean, my distance is probably a lot bigger than that, and that's what they haul you up there to run the scoreboard during the game. I, mean, I love it. It's, I love it. It's crazy stuff. Lou, thank you very much, buddy. Uh, you're uh, next week. I've been talking too much this week about this uh, uh, name, image, likeness, but uh, uh, I want to kick it up with you next week. Because boy, boy, it's it's boiling here in Colorado. Everybody well, now is looking at Deion Sanders and, and his players and going. We may have to up the ante here to keep these kids here. Well, I mean, uh, Notre Dame has, I mean, Kevin and I keep jousting about the number, but he's the one who gave it his 20 or 25 people that are grad students that are no longer undergrads under scholarship. I mean, it's it's really changing. One of my buddies, uh, and, and Greg knows what I'm talking about, one of his friends has, he's riding a car with the kid. He takes a selfie of him and the kid. The kid just got a huge deal. He's in high school. I, I mean, but I think what's happening, Lou, and this is what I'm going to talk to you next week, this thing with Hartman and Notre Dame, and I'm sure it's any anybody who thinks, well, I guess it's a little dogmatic, but anybody who thinks that if I give if I'm Nike and I give uh, Sidewash State a trillion dollar cl- uh, contract, that I don't care who goes to Sidewash State. I mean, I, I think you you better take another cup of coffee because if I'm going to give some high school kid a bunch of dough, I'm only giving him a dough because he's going to Sidewash State. I'm not he's not going to turn around and say I'm going to an Adidas school tomorrow. I mean, you control that kid. I mean, you're you're the employer at this point. I think somebody somebody, somebody does. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, I, yep. I mean the, the the idea that 
the, the kid at Notre Dame has a big Under Armour NIL thing, the quarterback. That is not a coincidence, Lou. I don't think, is it? No, no. It, this is this is uh, chief. Eventually, we're going to end up like what you and I talked about the other week. You're going to have a team playing in South Bend, Indiana, that is affiliated with Notre Dame, but has nothing to do. But those kids don't go to school; they're employees. What? Uh, we got to get to Dan here. We probably won't even have a break. But question: At some point, is are the Alabamas, Georgias, Notre Dames, Ohio States of the world going to have to compensate the schools that essentially take in the freshman coaching for two years and then lose them? Well, that's that's how it works in Europe. That's how it works with FIFA. You know, I, I, I worked actually worked this issue for uh, one of my my Chicago firms. I, I was setting up a international sports practice for them, and and that's how that's how it works is with uh, soccer. I think it works with baseball too. And these these uh, teams that aren't affiliated, they yeah. get somebody and you buy the contract. And you got to pay the guy something. Yep, yep. So these these younger these these clubs, you know, training eight, nine, ten, twelve year olds, eleven year olds, uh, they get a cut of this guy's contract moving forward. All right, well, there's one agreement where I tell the other guys, Lou agrees with me. Lou, take care, <laughs> Lou, take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. What do you say we, go, what do you say we go right to Dan if he's in? Yes, I'm here. Um, so are you, uh, are you uh, employed like by the colleges now and you're getting a big bonus to move to the next <laughs> level? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hear you have some eligibility left. I do. I, 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 I you know, it was like a... Um, yeah, I think I have at least another year, right? <laughs> yeah. You can, you, you can be, you know, don't they? There actually, there actually is a more about Luke question. There actually is a, an age, a maximum age, right? Isn't it like twenty-eight? I don't think it is a good question. I'm not. I'm actually not sure about that. I do remember having a few friends in college who played an extra year, and um, <clears throat> I know a couple of them had, you know, were probably like in their. They were more like 23, 24. So I'm not sure what the age is. I'll you know, I, I don't know what that cutoff is. But but you're right, there is a cutoff at some I'll point. I bet right? Greg can find out because I think there was somebody played when he was. I don't think there is for a lot of sports. You get, you get. Uh, well, I'll check it out. Oh, yeah, I think there is because I'll report. I, I think the uh, the thing that always drove kids older before COVID years was the uh, the, the Mormon kids that, that do their mission and then come back, right? Yes. Right and they, right, that, yeah. so, so they actually do a two-year mission and then go to college. So they're they don't graduate till they're twenty-four, twenty-five. So I think there was an allowance for that. I, I think it's twenty-eight, but I, I could be wrong. But yeah, uh, and what about what about the military too? I mean, I never, never I never thought about that because if somebody went in right out, right out of high school for a few years and then I don't know that that I don't have an answer to. But um, well, I think you're you're pretty much out of. West Point or, or Naval Academy in four years. I don't. I don't know if there's any five-year majors. I don't think you have a chance to go there when you're. I don't know. There's a Luke question. I mean, good can, can, friend. Of, a good friend of mine in high school played hockey for for West Point, and it was four years. He and then he ended up, but he actually ended up playing pros for a few years after that. So, I mean, that's that's interesting because he didn't do his because uh, you're locked into the, the uh, you know to yes. the army for a while. The only reason why they let. Uh, What's his name out? Uh, the admiral um, was that he he grew too tall to yes. be in the submarines, yep. right? If you enroll in a D one program, you have four years of eligibility, which must be completed in five years. That changes D two D three rather than having five years. Um, there's a semester clock, which allows players to leave until you have racked up, or to continue until you have racked up ten semesters in total. It doesn't look like there's an age limit. There's some some guys who are thirty who are playing so. Really? Cause oh, there, well, there's a 
The oldest college football player has been Alan Moore, who had his college career interrupted by uh, Vietnam before returning as kicker. At the age of 61, he kicked an extra point in a game and became the oldest player in NCAA history. Was he? I bet he was D2. Um, 55-year-old Joe Thomas Sr. was the oldest D1 football player after rushing wow. for three yards. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Maybe they changed it. That Dan, Dan they, they might be calling you, bud. I think this yeah, hey, there's still time, right? Still time. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, I uh, shipped out to everybody. I, I think, I, unfortunately, I think I, I got you off the, uh, I have you on the uh, email list. I don't know why, Dan, but I'm going to have to get you over to my, uh, when I ship everybody from home when I'm getting nothing better to do at 11 at night. Uh, two two things today. One is I, I sent out a uh, a list, but I I don't need to send you the article. It was a thing here about uh, shadow banking, and they're talking about this is a, a term coined. In, I don't know, it was two thousand and seven. I know it was a while ago. Uh, shadow banking, a term coined in the U.S. in two thousand and seven, refers to financial services offered outside the formal banking system, which is highly regulated. Well, uh, different opinions on that. But China's property sector, an estimated one fourth of the economy lies at the intersection of shadow banking, local government finances, and household assets. This is by Evelyn Chang. Uh, she wrote this article for CNBC, and we've uh, quoted some of her stuff before. She does a nice job, I think. Today, Beijing's problem is it needs to offset a crackdown on shadow banking and real estate developer debt with other kinds of economic support. Uh, so now this morning, one of the reasons why we're up and why we're up in Europe is that China dropped their reserve requirements. I don't know if you saw that which is the amount that yes. the banks have to hang on to um, before they make loans. And I, uh, I would say, Dan, that you and I are in huge agreement in one spot, and I think most of the guys that are uh, savvy to monetary theory are the same way. I mean, Russell and Hal. Uh, although Hal likes to talk about Austrian economics or something. I still don't know what he's talking about with that, but I'll, I'll get there one of these days. Uh, the By... You can't solve any. I, th- I think you can. You can cause a problem, Dan. If I'm see if I'm saying this right, grade me here. You can cause a problem by tightening stuff so much that there there is no no normal liquidity and people be able to get loans for legitimate products and things like that. You can screw up economy an economy by being too tight. I don't think you can you can fix an economy by just telling people to go lend more, ever. I mean, I, which means the Fed's got to come up with more money on top. I don't think you can ever fix anything by just. If you don't have a constricted state to start with, I don't think making things just easier on the top and throwing money into the system does anybody any good. Do you? I mean, if you can't pay, if you can't pay your loan back, lending you more money for another three years, you know, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help. I no, I, I totally totally agree with you that there's a natural cycle that that I've been talking about for a while. There's the expansionary and then the contractionary part of the cycle. When you try to fight it too much, it's going to only make it's only it's going to create additional problems. So I, I agree with you 100% on that, and it's the interesting thing. It's not you know you're talking about the lending standards in China and all, and it, 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 there are other countries as well. But the other area that's become popular lately that we've talked about is private credit, not private equity, but private credit that that operates outside of the banking system here. Right, explain explain that talk, to every, explain that to everybody because I'm sure. Yeah. So private credit would be rather than like think of first think of private equity being money that goes towards an organization that maybe uh, may not be a public company and it's there there are hedge fund firms that will invest um, money into different organizations whether they be public or private 
but their money, they take a large position in some of these firms. In the, on the private credit side, it would be, again, an alternative investment manager, a hedge fund, um, private equity firm, um, or an investment management firm that puts money into an organization by lending them lending them as you would a loan or as you would bonds, rather than the company issuing bonds, they're lending them money like they are a bank. So, so now the investment management organization takes that role. There's a firm in California called Oak Tree. They were very big during the high, you know, the days of Milken and, and the high yield bonds, which is my background. And they are probably the top firm, one of the top firms, if not the top firm with private credit. BlackRock has a lot of, has, has lent a lot of money to um, companies um, through the private equity, through the private credit channels. So it's, again, as you're saying, it's outside of the banking system. And I totally agree with you. There's only so much of that that's going to work because there's still going to be macroeconomic um, factors. There's still going to be higher interest rates. There's still going to be higher gas prices. There's going to be other challenges that they have to deal with. So it's not a, it's not a solution, an all-in-one solution. It's just a, um, right now it's a trend, as I call it. Yeah, when, it, when we were, trend. I'm going to say a while ago, and maybe it's still going on, the U.S. and some and some banks here, some of it was government, some of it was banks, uh, were lending money. Remember, this, this has to be, oh, God, this is maybe the turn of the century, uh, where people were lending money to other other countries, you know, like Nicaragua or someplace. Yes. And yep. and, and, the, and the loans became non non uh, whatever non performing. They couldn't pay the interest. And right. after after big amounts of of, of uh, the government bailing out or helping the banks out or whoever was doing it, they would actually say, "Okay, we're going to lend you another hundred million bucks." But instead of just saying the loan was uh, not performing, the country would turn around and say. And take the hundred million you just lent them, and turn around and pay you back twenty in interest, and miraculously become a performing loan. I mean, even even when I was young, I go that that sucks. I mean, that, yeah. that, that loan is no more performing than me being a jockey in a fifth race today. I mean, come on. I mean, they're not we're not still doing that stupid stuff, are we? Or are we? Not as not as much just recently, but there has been there was a period of time where, say, the emerging markets. And then even the, you know, you go one step below the emerging markets to, to you know, countries like Nigeria and all that, and there was financing going on um, for those countries. The the issue I've always had, I actually, years ago, I ran an emerging um, markets fund. I, I ran a high yield fund that had emerging markets in it, and I've done a fair amount in the emerging market space. It's what we refer to as sovereign risk. So it's country risk. And okay. to me, that's very hard to manage because you have, you know, you have political issues that we don't totally understand. Even the experts here in the United States, unless they've spent a lot of time in those countries, just can't get their arms around the political issues. And then what, what I call the sovereign issues. So that's why I've kind of shied away. Um, and I will also say that the other thing is we're getting enough return right now here in the United States. So why not stick with something that's working? as an investor. From the point of view of the, the lender, um, that was a trend that's become less popular recently. There's not as much money going into um, that. And part of the reason is because they can't find the investors. Well, I was uh, I have a, a friend, in a, which we'll go nameless. Um, she was doing some work for the UN in one of these, I don't know, they, they were doing, doing something in one of these 
actually a bunch of uh, third world countries, they would, in order to get something, get, get something to work, Dan, they were actually putting Swiss bank accounts up and, yes. and, and paying the dictator a little piece just so he'd allow the stuff to happen, like build a hospital or, or those kinds of things, the humanitarian stuff. The guy would have to be paid off just to be able to do it. That's but, not Chicago? Well, it could have, it could have been, it could have been the mayor here. Right? But I'm saying the idea that, you know, I don't know. I, I guess, what, what did, uh, what did the guy say, to Harry Truman, about the, the guy in Central America? He's the son of a bitch, and and Harry Truman said, yeah, but he's our son of a bitch. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point, you gotta, you, you have to wonder how you, you know, how you evolve on somebody. But I guess, my my question is, is, is we have, we've we've talked with everybody else about some of these P ratios. I'm looking at this. What, first of all, why does nobody ever mention Adobe? The thing goes up every single day. They're up to, they're up to a, a 56 PE rate, PE ratio, actually 53 and a half. Um, I somewhere along the line here, Dan, where there, there's there's issues with this with this uh, debt. S- certainly, the people in China have a problem. Uh, if, if they do, other people must. I mean, the people here, there it seems like there's all this risk hanging around. And like I said yesterday, if everything work swimmingly I think we can work our way out of it but I don't know what percentage handicap I can give on this because and the, the reason why I'm so so worried about it is if if, if something like Adobe and I'm not I'm not saying go short it because it goes up every day I said if, if the thing was trading 30 PE I would be nowhere near as worried but these things are priced but everything is perfect I, it, it just doesn't look perfect to me you're, you're exactly right there's, and it's not going to take a whole lot to I mean there's really no um you know, we don't have a a safety net for that, if you will. And you are right. Also, I I agree with you at least that that there's um, you know we've got a huge um, you know federal deficit. We also have a lot. I mean, we have we have a lot of debt on that the federal side. We have an increasing amount of debt on the personal side with credit card debt, and that's only going to keep continuing because because a large number of people are spenders and not savers. So. There's also this sort of fear of missing out, and there's a lot of you know money chasing after what you know the hot names. And it's funny that we would think we would right from being in the business that we would think that life would have been evolved and that people would finally get it, but they still don't totally understand that you buy something expensive at the top of the market, you have a lot of risk. And our job, you know, both of us, our job is to is to manage risk. That's really what our job comes down to. And when it when you see an overvalued market, so you're talking about Adobe and, and some of the you know some of the stocks that have just gotten out of control. One of the things I was going to mention today is is real estate. So if you look at what's happened, you know the CPI numbers came out and they were relatively neutral. Um, energy is really the main cause, and I will say energy is a is something to pay attention to right now. Oil prices, but one thing that they did say, and I heard in pretty much every report. Is that shelter is down? They said, you know, uh, in other words, housing is down. It's true if you talk about certain markets. Certainly, the West Coast, Austin, Texas stands out. Um, wait, 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 wait. And even here, if, even here, if your house prices go down fifteen percent, your mortgage rates double. How the hell is shelter down? Exactly, and, and and right. So it's still contributing to CPI. And but but what I wanted to get at is we go, exactly what you were trying to say. These over valued markets and I think of Boston where I grew up and I think of New York right now that are still on fire and I cannot imagine anybody wanting to buy in those markets today 
So that would be the analogy for people who don't understand the stock market. You know, if you're looking for real estate, wait until something drops. You know, wait until if you like that city or if you think that it's a good investment long term, you know, you might start having some opportunities as things have sold off 15 or 20 percent. But don't go to the cities that you have. Don't chase New York and Boston. Don't chase the cities that are because those places will correct as well. And in past cycles, just like tech, what you're talking about with Adobe, in past real estate cycles, those markets have gotten hit horribly. The late '80s, um, I was a, I was, you know, the early '90s. I owned real estate in the Boston area. I lost a huge amount, you know, a, a very large amount on my very first investment, only investment, fortunately, since then. <laughs> In real estate, but I think if people look at real estate, you know, if you want, you're trying to understand the stock market, look at the real estate market. If you don't, you know, if you're not in the, the business like we are, and just kind of use some common sense that you chasing an overvalued stock or an overvalued market doesn't make sense. Well, I was talking, we'd actually. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I was going to say I was talking about that with uh, Nancy and uh, Audrey uh, this weekend. It, it's I've never seen anything like it in this area. In, in, in it's almost like there were. There was a restriction on stocks or something, and it, you know there sort of is because these companies are buying. The uh, there was a well, you know, I, I actually read this Dan, and I, I, threw, I threw it out or something, but maybe two, three years ago, before COVID, uh, one of the one of the listeners sent me a thing that said in the last ten years, the only additional really amount of money in the market were firms buying their own stock back. That the, that the supply yeah. has been constricted so much by firms buying their stock back, and that's that's been one of the driving pieces of the market the whole way but anyway what I'm saying I, you, you look at the numbers I mean this real estate stuff here you know Audrey, she has people looking for houses because everybody's locked in with their mortgages yes. and, and can't sell the supply right. is almost artificially uh, restricted so the, yes. the prices they're not I'd say they probably stopped going up but they haven't gone down there's, there's a cash buyer for like every place somebody who sold their place or somebody who uh you know, maybe he's just retired or something. He got a lump, lump, whatever it is. There's people that, that are cash buyers on these things. So, as of now, the, the people who have the three and a half percent mortgage are not being forced to sell. I don't. I hope there's not this big layoff thing on the horizon. I don't think there is, but there doesn't seem. The numbers I think are actually worse than 2007 in terms of median income versus house housing price, and, and because now the, the mortgage rates, if anything, is higher than 2007. It's at least equal. Uh, yet I don't see the catalyst. Same thing in China. I mean, it looks to me like they're floundering like a like a fish on water or on, on dry land. Yet it doesn't. They seem to be going day to day without a problem. There's not a massive default that somebody causes somebody to topple. There's not a long term capital that when Russia goes under, they're going under with them. And oh, by the way, everybody's invested. It doesn't appear there, that that there is that thing that you and I can identify. But then again, I didn't I didn't know about long term capital before it happened either. You know, so it's just because I can't identify it or the people on the show are about as smart of people as I've ever come across, just because we can't say this is the issue. I mean, I surely wouldn't have predicted those guys uh, downgrading U.S. debt a month ago or six weeks yeah. ago. No, I, Something, no, I, yeah, I agree. I say just because I can't figure it out or maybe, you you know, one, one of us someday will say maybe that's the catalyst and I'll bet it won't be the right one or something. I don't know. No, it, it, there's no question that there, the um, the one thing I will say, and it's, it's a related point that I that I wanted to bring up, and it's it's kind of partially based on an experience that I've had personally with with contractors here in Florida since the hurricane. 
And I've mentioned this before, that what makes us unique as a country, that I, that I think is one of the great things about the capitalist, um, you know, the capitalist uh, movement that we've had in, in this country and what we, what we identify as, is that as prices go higher and as contractors here in Florida have really just tried to rip people off, there have been recently a few people coming in to the market here uh, with lower prices, better service and better quality. And that's what's great about the American way. In other words, I don't think you're going to find that in China. It's you're not going to find that in, in, in most other countries. And that's what makes us unique so that as prices go up in certain markets, somebody sees an opportunity. Hey, you know, that guy isn't providing service. That guy's, you know, he's charging too much. Their quality of work has really gone down. Here's somebody coming in that can see things. And this is what our our country allows is people to come in and provide an alternative which is actually a better alternative all the way around and that's really what the capitalist um, movement is about that's what capitalism is about it's about people being able to compete and that hopefully is what's going to take us out of this high inflationary environment uh, now you know what I'm going to ask you you know what I'm going to ask you but I will what percentage and you know I mean, a trader on a trading floor for 20 years Nobody likes competition better than me, except maybe you. What percentage? Absolutely. What percentage of this of this economy is still in a competitive, what we would consider to be capitalist mode? I'm going to say twenty percent, twenty. Not as much as it used to be. Absolutely, I totally agree with you that the trend has been in the other direction. Um, so that I would I would agree with you on that. It's you know we we've moved away from that because especially think about the banks, right? So as the banks have gotten larger and larger. You know the regionals have have played a role, but they've been under pressure. They, you know, it, it's been a tougher environment to step in. We were talking about private equity as an alternative. I mean, private credit as an alternative to to um, banking. So, if the banking sector, I mean, from what I see in my little world, we're not getting the service. We're paying higher fees, and and you were certainly not getting the quality. And private credit may initially offer that, but but it, there aren't as many um, places as we have we've had in the past. With you know, it, it is a tougher environment, and there's been a um, and and I think we w what we need to do is get back to that world of where competition is thriving and where yeah know, I don't know I don't know well I don't know from your lips to God's ear how do, if if Home Depot decides uh, we are the only place in town and we're just going to go up twenty percent in prices, what would it take? for Chief and Dan and, and Greg to put up a lumber yard down the block from Home Depot. I'm going to say it can't happen. You know, it, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I think that it, it, it it's very hard to compete on pricing, but depending on where, which organization you're talking about, or you know, it might not be as hard to, to compete on quality and service. And I think there are people out there, and there's a certain, I'd say, the majority of people who would prefer the quality and service it seems to have, especially the last few years, it has really gone downhill. But but it seems to be slowly coming back. Is, is what I'm observing here when it comes to contractors, for example. Well, I just, without I'm a just doubt. using yeah, example, but you, but but you and I can be a contractor. We can't be McDonald's. We can't be the gas company. We can't, but we might be able to offer something that's that's a little bit better. You know, we might be able to offer. You know, people. You know, depending on where you are in the country, some people still prefer to go to the local coffee shop rather than go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. I agree. The environment of a local place, you know, maybe they're about the same in pricing, but maybe the, the, the quality of their coffee is better. Maybe the environment is better. Maybe it isn't as, you know, there might just, 
so I, I still want to believe in that, you know, that I still have faith that that's that. Well, that I, we're I, in that. I do too, and I and I think if if you and I, if they dropped us, imagine us two knuckleheads in the, in the Oval Office. If, if they dropped us in the Oval Office, what, my you you would have a lot of problems you could solve. One I want to solve is I want to get that twenty percent of the market that's still competitive. I want to I want that to be forty when I left office. That's I total I yes. 100% agree with you on that, and that's not happening, and I agree with you that it's not happening. But actually, think about our business, too, right? So as a lot of the larger investment firms have, you know, have they've grown, and everybody wants to throw more money at Merrill Lynch and, you know, and, and J.P. Morgan and all that, and then there's smaller guys like us that are providing a better quality of service, and I, you know, and, and we're... It's you know I I think that it it does still exist. There are you know there are plenty of the smaller players in our industry that still get business, and that I think more and more people have moved or hope hopefully move into the mom and pops and realizing that some of these large institutions just can't provide it. They don't have the nimbleness or flexibility to provide that level think, of service. Do you think uh, Finra wants us around, or they're happy with the big guys? Uh, yeah, I think Finra doesn't right. want us around. No, no, yes, you know, absolutely. There's one thing I wanted to bring up, yeah, one other please. point yeah, go ahead. that I think is interesting um, before we go. It's it's um, something I've been saying all along. I still, we've kind of lightened up on the equity side, on the stock side. Um, t Six-month T-bills are still yielding 5.5%. There's been a lot of chatter right now about the Federal Reserve because they're meeting next week. They're meeting actually on the 19th before before we get a chance to talk again and there's and of course that issue is going to come up because higher rates there's still a lot of focus on higher rates um but one one observation that i've had is we've got three more meetings this year we've got the one next week in september we've got the one on on halloween at the end of, of october wow. and then we have another one in december i would say with a lot of certainty we're going to see at least one rate hike in, in, uh, in those three those three meetings so so this is we've had this long break since the last Fed meeting. I I think the numbers are still strong enough on the inflation side to encourage more moving upward. And and I think I'd be cautious on the equity side going forward. Today we're having a good day, but we're going to have a good day, I think. But but um, I don't think it's a, it's the time to jump. Although we're we're lighting up in equities, but I think you just have to pay attention to higher rates. And the one other thing that people need to pay attention to that's been the sort of quiet quietly moving up here are oil prices um I'm not for so whatever sure so, reason i'm not so sure it's so quiet it's running well for whatever reason yeah. the equity investors don't don't put as much emphasis on oil you know if you're looking at tech for example people in that are in the tech world don't really see oil as a potential threat but even like a company like amazon if if oil prices go high enough that's going to impact their business um, just on a very basic level, people think about about you know the the trucks that deliver the goods. Um, how do the you know the transportation is a big uh, you know oil is still a major influence in the transportation sector. So there's you know there are people who have the belief in today's environment that you know oil's not what it used to be, and it, maybe it's not, but it's still a big it's part a, of our economy. Just, just because you so listen, I, would say, I think Dan is, is people get well, I hate to use this term brainwashed. They listen to people all day long tell, telling you to pull food and energy out of the out of the numbers. Why? I, it's, I it's totally part, agree. It's part of the numbers. I mean. Because they well, they still impact it, right? So you pull yeah. food and energy out, but you still have transportation as part of it, right? You still have other 
sectors that that are you know um, food may be you know food prices themselves but it may not be restaurants you know it may not be you know the hospital that has to that has big you know higher costs on the food side so yes I absolutely agree with you. I, I have never totally understood the ex-food and energy part. Next week, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a history of where all that came from because I actually was listening to a guy one day. Long story, but I have a uh, real, real tough question for you right now. We have a bunch of people uh, that came into PTI a while ago uh, without—I won't say without cash. They, they, they brought in a whole bunch of mutual funds they had other places. So I yes. can't—I can't really hedge them. My brother and I. Uh, my brother was thinking of maybe talking to everybody and saying uh, a move from, say, 100%. These are older people. Uh, a, a move from 100% mutual fund, maybe down to 75%, 25% in six-year T-bill might might be the right move here. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And, and the thing about mutual funds, there are still some that are that are very good, but there's still the fees have continued. <laughs> the, the fees have remained high. ETFs might be a good alternative if it's a if, an, if it's an index-like fund or if it's a fund that tracks the index. So it might be an equity fund that tends to have a high correlation with the S&P 500. So I would probably rather own SPY that would be cheaper than own, owning an equity well, fund that mimics plus I could, the I could, index. Plus, I could if, if somebody has is, needs to be risk-averse, they retire somebody, I could get puts on that. I can't do it on a mutual fund. Yeah, and I mean, you're, absolutely. And then, and then, and that's that's another good point. And then, on the, to be involved, to be invested in U.S. Treasuries right now, especially T bills, six month T bills, absolutely. This well, is what, the place what, to be. What would be your number? I mean, my my brother's very conservative. He doesn't want to jag people out of what they're comfortable being. And a lot of people have been very comfortable being 100% long for a long time. So I mean, it's going to be a conversation, even if it's 90 10 or something. I mean, where if, if somebody just walked in today, you know. Grandpa Janitas and walked in and said, "I got a million and a half bucks." Dan, what would you put in market? If it was me, I'll just lob this one out there. This is not a recommendation, making. I would probably say if somebody is retired, I do seventy-five percent, somewhat protected. Uh, the rest, I'd put twenty-five percent, maybe in some T bills, and the rest, if you if you had some of the companies doing a little better than that, that exp- that you know uh, that you get a year, year and a half, I'd probably do twenty-five percent in that. That would, I think that that's that would that would be good. I think even in this environment, and I think with retired people also, it depends on whether they're planning on spending their money in retirement or whether they have a legacy. In other words, for oh, their yeah. kids, for example. And so you'd be a little more aggressive if they have a legacy. But with um, you know, I would say yeah, someplace in this thirty seventy range, which is or thirty you know twenty eighty range, eighty being the um, you know twenty being the equities, um, eighty being the the bonds. And I think in this environment, because we're finally getting a more um, value in in the fixed income markets, and I think going forward that'll continue. I do think at some point rates, you know, buying longer treasuries is going to make sense. It's we're not quite there yet, but there's a lot of um, opportunity and value coming in the fixed income markets. I think so there is. I, the, the nice I thing not, I would not underweight that sector. No, me neither. But the only thing about the treasuries, we want to leave a little bit in there, is if all of a sudden the market like collapses. And we think it's a raving buy. You got those treasuries in a nanosecond. I mean, that, that's a nice thing about those. They're, they're being yes. I mean, your stuff. Liquidity. You you make sure your stuff is pretty liquid, but it's not a treasury. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I, absolutely. I'm, I'm like I said. I'm a big fan of, of the six month T bill right now. All right, Dan. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Good stuff as you usual. Sp futures up 15. Yeah. Nasdaq futures up 47. We're still up, not as much as we were. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan.
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everyone. Fake Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pampas on the board. SP Peters up 11 now. NZA Peters up 24. So we're linking. We just came. We get this P numbers. Uh, PPP numbers is a uh, 0.7% here, hotter than expected, and that's the reason why we're we're uh, we're not as high as we were. We're still not going negative, but we're uh, we're only up 11 in the uh, S and P's, and we're only up 24. And we were up a lot more than that. So we'll, we'll do more on that number when uh, I'll, I'll research more on the number while uh, Greg's doing traffic weather sports. But right now we've got the uh, you said the Dow's up. Uh, the Dow, the Dow is up 119. Uh, and you know what? Why don't you do it right? These numbers are coming in late here because everything's flying around with these. Uh, uh, this uh, this number just came out, Greg. Why don't you do that? And I'll, I'll dig into the number. Sure. 58 degrees now in Chicago. 68 today. Partly cloudy. Phoenix. You got 80 degrees. Uh, 101 today. Sunny. Very warm. Um, MLB. Cubs lose. Uh, three to seven in Colorado. Diamondbacks lose to the Mets, uh, one to seven. Tonight in the NFL, we've got Vikings versus the Eagles, and that's Eagles minus six, and over/under is 49. Traffic: Kennedy to Montrose, 31 minutes. Lake Cook to the interchange on the Edens, 61 minutes. Eisenhower is 49 minutes. Wolf to the interchange. Um, the Ryan is. 32 minutes to uh, 95th to 290 interchange and then that's that's all that's really bad there um that's all i got chief so you still got people not you know telling people not to breathe yeah the air is still poor in both phoenix and chicago but nothing much everybody's got allergies is is having problems problems it's uh Anyway, we've got these numbers. We have Mr. Flanagan. You do, Tom. Good morning. Morning. At the PPI, final demand advances 0.7% in August, which is a lot higher than people thought. Uh, this is interesting. Goods are up 2%. Services are up 0.2%. That's huge on the good side. That's huge. 
Or what am I wrong here, Greg? That's, that's, those are big numbers. And those are the ones that, that, that work their way through the consumer part, the good side, not so much the service side. Or That's a ouch. Uh, the market doesn't care. Um, producer prices for final demand uh, increased 0.8% over the year, ending July 2023. I don't know about that. Uh, anyway, these numbers are, are a lot higher. Uh, the market doesn't seem to care. Uh, well, it's down a little bit from there, but it's still, we're still up um, because the China put more money in the system uh, last night again, which is going to save everybody's problems. Well, it might solve push a default all, off in China a little bit, which you know, which is if you're the person being defaulted against, probably is a a good idea. If we get, if we have debt in Evergrande and they can pay an interest payment, I guess it's good for us, right, Jan? Kind of like you with all yeah. your China, with all your China stuff, you know. Just saying. Speaking of market we're buying not time, caring. I think yeah. at the very least, uh, or the very most, maybe. Uh, that's about it. Well, we are. No we're buying some time. We're hoping we're giving some, some time for some good stuff to happen. We're just trying to find a good stuff. You were going to say, Greg? What, what you, what oh, you I think? was speaking of market not caring. Have you heard about what's going on in Las Vegas? The cyber attack? Supposedly, some it hit, guy. It hit Bally's real hard. Yeah, Bally's and Caesars, I think. And Wynn is locked out of some, some of their own computer systems. And hotel guests are going nuts. But uh, yeah, those stocks don't really care either. No, it, uh, it's, it's it's. I mean, people just are convinced these are just bumps along the road. You don't have to worry about it until uh, when people used to whip the cards around on the trading floor. It would say, as, as people would say, it was it was funny until somebody lost an eye or an eighth. <laughs> an eighth <laughs> or or an eighth. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. This stuff is it's not a problem, and then it is. It's 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 fascinating. And Jen, that's why I love the business so much. It it is it. There's there's news all over the place. Sometimes you pay attention, sometimes you don't. And all of a sudden, it's there five days in a row. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, "Hey, this is a problem." <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> what was wrong? The uh, quick story on that: when the United Airlines, the, the mini crash in 1989. Of course, there's been a whole bunch of them since then. But was the United Airlines fiasco? Remember when they were going to be bought out at $300 a share? And yeah. The, and the thing was, all week long. I know, Greg, you were too young for this one, but it's kind of an interesting story. The stock started out, yeah, I don't know, maybe in the high 100s or something. So these guys say, I can't remember if there was a bidding war or they just came out with this. I think there might have been a bidding war. Anyway, the, the, the final number is 300 bucks on, on Friday night. You know, they're going to they're gonna take it over on the weekend. Well, as, as the deal goes forward, you see virtually every day that week uh, somebody says – you know, an old line investor from Chicago could have been, you know, God knows who, some old firm or somebody, some old pension fund says, you know what, at 280 we're out, and they, and they, and they dumped out. And there were people that were coming on TV all the time and said the, the simplest money ever to be made in, uh, in, in the market was whenever there's a takeover, because there are a lot of them, somebody's going to buy this place at 100 bucks. the price goes to 97 never quite goes to 100 and then three months later, the place buys it, and you make your three bucks. And these guys would say, "It's, a, it's the easiest thing to do in all all of all of sports. All of, this, the sport of, of investing is the, these deals always go through." So these guys are unloading every day of the week. And at, and at one o'clock, I had, a, I had a trader in the United Airlines crowd. Somebody came in with two hours to go on the options, and of the three, I think it was a two ninety puts. The guy paid like twenty five hours for, with two hours to go, and the stock's trading like. 285. Can you imagine that, Greg? Two hours. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> someone knows something. 
And all of a sudden, <laughs> it, w- it was like a million and a half dollar ticket. The thing collapsed like at 2.30 in the afternoon. I don't remember exactly, but the deal did not go through. And it was a big fiasco on Monday morning. The market was down. Everything was down. And, uh, you know, the market came back pretty quick because it wasn't all just United Airlines. But it ten- ended up being a total, total goof up, a screw up. I mean, uh, and all these people lost all this dough. And, uh, you know, the guys in the crowd, you're sitting there going, wait a minute, all, all I got to do is make it another hour and 45 minutes on these things. And they didn't make it, you know. So it, it is, it was kind of obvious sort of to everybody, John, that. There were problems with this deal. And every day you'd read in the Sun-Times someplace that somebody, you know, Flanagan and Flanagan, who had been a United Airlines shareholder since God knows when, 1930-something, when they spin off from Boeing. How many people realize United Airlines was a spin-off from Boeing? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the Boeing used to own the airlines. How how, how good of a deal was that, Greg, for the the public? Uh, That's a great business model, Tom. Yeah, it's a great (laughs) guy who makes the planes owns the airline. Um, So... The thing thing falls apart, and uh, and guys are just called being vertically integrated. Yes, that would be the term. (laughs) That would be the term. Uh, And if you if you own the beer joint at the airport, it was even more vertically integrated. Yeah, even better. Uh, But that was what October of '89, right, Tom? I believe so. Yeah, it was two years after the crash. Yeah, the the October phenomenon. I mean, there's been stuff written about this, and how that's a crucial month in you know trading history um, for whatever you know number of reasons you could put together and there's a lot of reasons why I guess it, it would be kind of a crucial month uh, but we might be gearing up for something akin to that this October too uh, there's a lot of stuff that's, that is, is up in the air I guess and where, where it's going to fall or, or how hard it's going to fall I think you know it's, it's not going to be years from now it's going to be weeks from now so well I, like I said I was mentioning with Dan I, I don't really see some massive catalyst I mean like in the real estate market I don't see the Japanese debt over here and people buying mortgage portfolios and stuff like we saw in, eight, in uh, 2007. I don't see the, the incredibly screwed up stuff. I just, I just, the only thing I see that's kind of screwed up is if some stock is going up and 15 people on TV tell you to buy it, people buy it. Without without regard at all to anything like P.E. ratios or fundamentals. Now, now, you know, that happens a lot in the market. And it has happened since there was a market. It's just, at some point, you just look and say, well, if everything goes swimmingly well, you know, Adobe will be seven hundred hours two years from now. But boy, it, it better be it better go swimmingly well. I mean, and it, it could. I mean, it has. I mean, uh, for for a lot of this stuff, it just it just makes things more risky, I guess. At the yeah, price of your plan. Things that bother me, Tom. I mean, when Audrey and Nancy have talked too, you know, when, when things start to slow down in the residential market or, or kind of stop dead, is I guess where they are now. I, I saw this happen, you know, various times in my real estate years, where um, you know all of a sudden you began to see hiring freezes and then layoffs in in all sorts of different industries, whether it was in the, the lending end of it or the, the brokers end of it. You know, the real estate brokers, mortgage brokers, appraisers, surveyors, title people. All of these ancillary industries that fed off of real estate activity would would start to go, you know, south, and those people were out of jobs, you know, for sometimes extended periods before they came back. And a lot of them did go back into the, the same business when things improved, and they always did improve. Um, things have not reached a point though where you got you know a huge inventory in commercial real estate that isn't going anywhere, and. You know they they can't give a lot of these properties away. I'm afraid, and that's that's going to take a toll 
in some areas that might might boost employment maybe in some other you know management areas to try to keep these buildings from, from collapsing until they can get sold again but i don't recall this kind of confluence of stuff where you've got you know a, a market that is so unapproachable for people just coming into it where housing prices have never really gone down to where they're affordable anymore and you've got you know the cost of everything else have is continuing to to and people are, are really kind of forced into making tough decisions about where am i going to live and how am i going to live and i i, I don't see them getting any relief from from this well, Jen, there's, there's a there's a group of there's a, enough people right now with enough money like i said every time uh we you you know you talk to audrey and audrey will get she she has people looking for houses and willing to pay you know what you and i would consider a really pretty good price and she's having trouble finding them because nobody's leaving yeah uh, nancy will tell you i mean if nancy wasn't like one of the best which she is what would you say the uh greg could probably find us what do you what do you suppose the layoffs have been in the mortgage industry in the last year it's got to be what 40 percent 50 i would bet yeah might be more uh i could see that even even in, in my little you know retail stretch around here that you know the Mortgage companies that opened up, you know, put their sign up two years ago. Their, their windows are soaked over for now. There's nothing going on there. What, so, uh, Joe, give us a, uh, you're our expert, accent expert, accent expert. These buildings downtown, what is, what is the time frame before there's, are, are the people that hold the, let's, let's go for the tides. Let's take 175 West Jackson because I know that one a little bit more than most because I don't know anything about the other ones. Uh, and you know, I'm just going to fill in a couple of blanks, and you can fill in the rest. Because, right? They they were uh, the original deal was the people paid what two thirty five for it or something two hundred thirty five million something like that uh, a, f- a few years ago, and they right. it was like forty fifty million of of their the mortgage is like one sixty five, right? So yeah, they basically said our seventy million we're gone. <laughs> We're bleeding. We're out. It's yours. And hand the keys to whoever, whoever the one sixty-five people are that are the. the and you're saying it's probably not one bank. It's probably a group of people. It's probably uh, venture capital firms. It could be anything, but it could be a pension. I mean, there, there's there's a group of people that, that own these places now. It's not like First National Bank holds the mortgage like thirty years ago, correct? So right. now, so now this this thing is somewhat bleeding. I don't I don't know that it's. How much in the whole cash-wise it is uh, at that number? Um, they have some people still in there, and they have people paying rent that you know maybe start aren't going to work in there. But I'll say it's fifty percent rented. They might be they might be charitable. The downstairs, they lost the restaurant. They lost two restaurants. They lost the, the big corner tent at CVS because the taxes over the last twenty-five years have gone absolutely through the roof. So now you're talking to the city saying. First of all, how does that conversation go? I mean, because I mean, their, their tax bill had to be like probably a million bucks or more. I mean, I'm guessing. And now they're going to say, "Look, I can I can pay you guys a hundred grand," and the city's going, "We want." But how, t- walk us through what happens now. Either either something good happens or bad happens, or who gets negotiated with first? Uh, is it the city? Is it, well, I mean, more like the county, right? But who? How how does this all play out? Uh, well, you know, there's a whole growth of, of industry-related stuff to prevent, you know, like cataclysmic defaults on mortgages. 
with with you know the building management thrown into chaos or somebody you know just collapsing outright and it, you know it's a, it's a much more confused situation to try to pick up the pieces now you got all these operations to make for a soft landing where you got workouts going on long before there's you know maybe the likelihood of a, a default but there's definitely one looming because the building is well they already did they, they ba- under there's a few of them them and i think the board of trade and a couple others they, the, the owners basically handed the, the the lender the key and say here you go right yeah and that's 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 the ultimate you know the deed in lieu of foreclosure where there is no chance of the the borrower salvaging anything out of it or getting you know coming up with the money to pay for any arrearages in taxes or interest or principal so there's no re- there's no reason for them to try to hang on to anything. They don't want to put money into you know legal fees to defend a foreclosure action, and they really don't have a defense to them. They don't have any way of, of liquidating other assets to come up with money to satisfy this lender. And the lender is fully aware of this too, and they have to bite the bullet and accept title to the property, which is the last thing they, they want to do. I always say. Right, so, no, so, not, so now they're, they're the property. so right now they're the owner, and the other guys are gone. I, I, yeah. I'm assuming. That the building had to be its own corporation, so they just said, "We don't have any dough. We're out. We're bankrupt." Right. So they're they're gone. So now the building, the the these people have a loan in there of, let's say, one sixty, which is the number, and they got the keys. Now they they have to have a management group in there unless they're going to do it. Uh, right, and they they may have one. You know, they have their and you know. It's, this is becoming, a, you know, an industry that was important enough in the, in the crisis in 2008, where the lenders were stuck with all of these properties in, in, all over the country, and they they sort of developed ways of handling them or, or packaging them and putting them on the market and trying to salvage them and keep them in repair enough so that they could sell them for some kind of money. But they were committed to take a loss on a lot of it because there's, there's just no way they could ever recover what they what they had into it. So the, I think they can they can you know, manage it to some extent, and they'll use whatever context they have locally to help them out and it's to, you know to continue to market the building if possible. And, and that's trying to be done now in a couple of cases where the buildings are on the market again looking for buyers i just see that the range of buyers that are interested in these buildings is is so distorted now because they, they really don't have a solution to a problem at, at such a huge level if it were a couple buildings alone that were in this situation it wouldn't be so bad but you got a whole you know commercial district really that is poised for this kind of, of disruption and there's just there aren't enough buyers anywhere who want to make you know the the leap into investing in them, so I see them. You know, a lot of them will be subdivided into mixed use types of things where they can at least make money on, say, the first ten floors of the building, or you know, convert it to you know residential at the top for penthouses and make a lot of money on those, and worry about the, you know the remainder of the building um, in the process but tr- to try to to cut their losses. And I, I, that's actually well, how, how does how does the negotiation? Let's say they're in arrears. They're fighting over the taxes for the last three years, the three COVID years. If I, if, if we'll, we'll get a guy like Greg, if he if he lightens up the wall, wall and lets the moss out and pulls out 150 mil and hands it to me, and I say, okay, this is a pretty good building. If I could get it for this, maybe I'll do it. I my first stop has to be with the assessor or yep. somebody, right? Say, okay, yep. I'm not, I'm not going to pay anything in the last three years. I wasn't here, and by the way. The, the current tax bill better go down by a factor of eighty percent, and if you do all that, I'm going to go buy the place for one fifty, and maybe next year we can make the payment. I mean, how how else can the negotiation go? 
it, there's no other way. And you know, the, the assessor will look at it. Well, if this property is condominiumized, or if it's, it's turned into you know, a portion of it is turned into housing, or there's hotel space that's going to magically appear uh, on the market that this building was formerly not a hotel, but now it's going to you know yield hotel taxation and everything else for the city. I think the city and the county kind of see eye to eye about this stuff. Well, somebody's going to make some money on this if we let this go ahead, and we may take you know a hit on this and we're willing to do that if it means that the building isn't a complete eyesore and falls apart and is a hazard and eventually has to be imploded. Um, so Why I, don't I do think that? that it's this, the third biggest city, third biggest building in the city. Yeah, this is this is, <laughs> but you think about it, Tom. The only way Chicago or any big city is going to come back is if there is, you know, office space let again. I, I don't. I just don't. This cannot work as a virtual city where you got all these office towers. Oh, you're right. Now masquerading as something else. Well, it's, it's like just, it's like the no De- way. That- Did you ever go to the Detroit State? I went to the Detroit Stadium, and it was a. The idea was be, you looked right out of the skyline. Well, the, the two or three biggest buildings right by the stadium were all empty. Yeah. They're like boarded up, so that was not the greatest view. But just a real quick, uh, just because I have this, I don't know if anybody's interested, I think it might be. That particular building, you know, because we had, we had offices there for a long time. Uh, that particular building, uh, was this, it's this massive place. They used to have a lot of government offices. They had uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They would actually bring like prisoners in there, and they had a cell in the place. They had a huge floor that was all social security. When they finished the Dirksen building, they were paying, I'm going to say, maybe five hours a foot. With a couple of years to go on the lease, this is how screwed up our government is, they took those people down to the Dirksen building, which at the time was a brand new building, so it was probably like 30 bucks. They were still paying over here at the five bucks, and yet they took everybody and put them in, in higher price spots. So... It was bought in 2000 uh, by these uh, guys from Jewelry Row in New York. And uh, they put, I'm going to say, 100, Greg, what's the number, 125 million in the place? It has one of those big, uh, what do you call the atriums? They, they, oh, the they, court in the middle, they, yeah. The they, light put, court. They, they put the big uh, top over the light court to save. Uh, they put all new windows. They sandblasted the place. I never knew it was white before. I thought it was gray. It was white. They, and they, they spent a fortune in the place to turn it into essentially a type A building. So we're talking about a place that 20-some years ago had a hundred and some million dollars put in it as a renovation. I mean, we're, you know, we're not talking about a schlump place. They put parking downstairs. They did all that stuff. And uh, now here it is 20 years later, but this area of the loop looks a lot different than it then, did back then. You had exchange floors going. You had all kinds of people. You had law firms in there. Uh, you had restaurants downstairs that were thriving. And now, I, I, I don't know. You mentioned a hotel. You know, the building just to the west of there the, is the insurance something-something. What's the name of that building, Greg? It's uh, not the insurance exchange. It's the insurance center or something was the old name of it where, where uh, Billy Goats was. That, they, somebody bought that building to turn it into a hotel. And they spent a fortune on it, I think, for two years. It never opened as a hotel. It's, it's, it's just empty. So the idea right. of these guys thinking we need another hotel, I don't know about that one, John. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just walking around the near north side yesterday, Tom. I was down with, you know, Northwestern Hospital just for my physical. And I don't get down to that part of the city very often, but I was I was stunned at how much construction has taken place in that area, like, you know, south of Chicago Avenue, north of the river, and how much of it is just, you know, unoccupied. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, the spanking new buildings 
and people just kind of sit around smoking on, on the outside planters and there's you know no evidence of any you know street level businesses and a lot of this stuff and yet there's tons of traffic there's a couple of cafes that have people sitting in them but but the buildings that are really generating the prosperity for the city and, and were built to do that and formerly did do that are just sitting there pretty pretty much empty i i don't see any any hope for a city that doesn't take that as its first charge to fix and there's a, there's I, I, don't a vibrant, see, there's I don't see any movement on this front at all Tom. there's a vibrancy down here it's like there's a vibrancy in an exchange floor in a market that there's that makes the thing go it's like a human body if it's dead you can't say god if i just get it eat, eaten again it'll be okay if i just get it pooping again no everything has to work and complement each other and i don't think uh current leadership or real leadership the the all that stuff that has to happen the restaurant in the building makes people want to be in the building. You're in the building, everybody at a restaurant makes money. This is all complimentary. It's all, it, it, it either works or it doesn't. I don't, know how you, I don't know how you start it back up again, John. I really don't. I don't know what you do you first. You guys got to talk about uh, that new DePaul development going up tomorrow or something. Yeah, we'll do, it on, we'll that do that on Monday. $60 million. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, we got to talk about the White Sox lease on Monday, John, if you want to get up on that a little bit. Not the, <laughs> because they, well, they, don't, they don't, don't let me commence on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, so we have, we have to give you a, a couple of days. So you were somebody get this straight. You were downtown. You didn't stop by and say hello. Well, I was it was early in the morning time. Ah. Too early for me to be up and around. I just wanted to come back home and chill out. So oh god, so those, uh, those physicals are so exhausting. Huh? Well, you know they're yeah. Plus, you all you at our age, all you're looking for. You're, what bad news Insurance am I going to get this time? Building, you're right. Three thirty. It's oh. the anxiety that yeah. just kills you. Insurance center building. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's Insurance what's on Center Belt, right? Yeah. And uh, that that place was uh, uh we could go through the history, but, but, you know, but these histories are all knows, this is this is serious. Now. Yeah, now they're apartment, but these this is serious investments, serious investments by people, serious amount of work, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, it's not there. And, uh, and a lot but, of you know the thing too, Tom, that, that people kind of forget, but but the loop had become so dense, in, in you know all these little old you know loud buildings were still pretty much fully rented there was a shortage of, of usable space so the loop expanded westward when you had the social security administration yep. built their headquarters you know, west of you know canal street on madison street and a lot of other office towers sprang up around there too um and there was definitely you know enough business to make those all these buildings viable but in the process the older buildings in the loop have just have deteriorated they've lost a lot of their cachet and that the loop itself is is not what it used to be. So you've got, you know, a, a periphery around the loop that has drawn a lot of the loop's activity away from it. To, and at the time, nobody missed anything in the loop because it was still a thriving place. But it's going to be very hard to rebuild and replace, you know, the downtown area with anything like what is happening on the periphery, unless you just start to demolishing things willy nilly, and that's not going to well, be. Well, the it, unfortunately, it's, uh, and we don't want to get into some. Uh, bad stuff about bad people but the idea of having the rapid transits and stuff the L and the subway getting people to the loop easy used to be considered a positive and now it's a negative right we, our system was all spokes and no you know circumferences but I mean so you, everything you don't want those people here you'd rather be in a west loop where you, they can't get there that's that's the problem well, and the loop has developed this stigma, and always did have, 
you know, a stigma to some extent is a place to live until fairly recently, but I, I think the glow, the glow is off of that now too. And it's well, look it's at what look at San Francisco. I mean, uh, we well, had uh, somebody who's there, but for the grace of God, I heard somebody say the other day the only reason Chicago got the Democratic convention next year is because they were ashamed to put it in any other city. Yeah, it's a uh, well, it's, it's it's demographic. It's all kind of stuff, and you hear there's people paying, you know, cash for. Uh, Three million dollar houses, and then I go to go to the Walmart in uh, Michigan City, and everybody's walking along with the calculator, whatever they may put in their, their basket. I mean, it's it's really it's really messed up, John. We'll talk about it more on uh, yep. Monday. Uh, SP futures up twenty, Nasdaq futures up twenty one. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.